wasn't Kayla and Ash great? Really good to hear their stories. Well done, ladies. Thank you for sharing this morning. That was just brilliant. Um, just before we begin, though, I just want to bring your attention to a couple of things. Natalie and Felicity Peel, are they happen to be in the room here today? Um, their father passed away uh, two days ago, and uh, their, their dad, Robert, had been coming along here for about three months. He was suffering from MND and dementia, and... Uh, he, he suddenly passed away just two days ago. So for those of you that know them, would you please reach out to them, extend your love to them and your care. Call them. Call rather than just wait. And uh, we're just really conscious and mindful of them. Their, their dad knew the hope of Jesus, and so that makes a difference, but there's great sadness as well. Second thing is that um, um, a couple of weeks ago, we had Erin. So she is on uh, your, what is it, your, your, your left, and um, she came and talked about empty esky. Brilliant. So here she is. She's now, um, because of her one idea, she did at 2 a.m. in the morning, um, this pledge. I pledged to visit a fire-affected town with my empty esky. Now she's gone all the way to the, to the parliament, and and they're pledging the same thing. And just so you know, it's a bipartisan thing. There you go. Um, they're pledging the same. Erin wasn't in this one. She was in the first one. And uh, so we've got some people who are going to be doing that on February 23rd. And I've been communicating with a minister down in uh, Lake Entrance, Baptist minister guy who works with CFA. Uh, Michael is his name. And he has been saying, uh, it would be awesome if you could come down. And I said, now, if we're going to do this, we're not going to just do it once off. Because it's so easy once all of the media leave for us to just forget. So I said, if we commit to doing this, we want to commit for at least 12 months. He said, that's brilliant. That's what would be really helpful. In fact, he's already been telling people down there who have been fire affected that there's a church group that's going to be coming down over the next 12 months. And they're blown away. And so if you're starting, you don't have to do all of every, everyone. But just, just so you know, if we do this, I think we've got to do it with a longer term in mind rather than the short. That makes sense, doesn't it? And if it's not the empty esky one, then you can go ahead and do lots of different other activities on the 23rd. But there's four particular towns he's identified to go and spend money, get a big empty esky, and you go to listen and to learn, um, not to say, here we are and we're going to fix all the problems. So it's, it's Lakes Entrance, it's Bairnsdale, it's Painesville, and it's Now Now. They're the four different towns that he identified, and I think we just go with the people who are down there who know the situation. So that's brilliant. Um, last thing is I'm looking forward to, to Lynn being with us this afternoon. So um, get in early at the front end. That would make all the difference. That's brilliant. I wonder if uh, you've ever had one of these moments, the, the moment where you've had the suit moment. Let's call it the suit moment. You've gone wandering in the shops and all of a sudden you have just stumbled across something and you, you've put it on, you've held it in your hand, you've sat in it and you just think to yourself, this is amazing. I feel different. And you stand taller, you, you feel more confident and you think to yourself, if I just have this, it will make my life better. Anyone had a suit moment before? If I could just get that thing, that will make all of the difference. I want to ask the question is, what is going on there? So picture yourself, you've walked in, you've placed on your suit or whatever it is. And you feel things. It's like this thing is interacting with you. And you're looking in the mirror and it's, you're looking back at yourself and there's these forces at play that are very real. And they're taking place and occurring all the time and you're experiencing it and they shape you. You see, we've grown up in a culture that actually says that 
We are impervious to the world around us. We are discreet human beings. And the discovery of who we are ourselves is to look inwardly. We are independent, discreet bodies separate to the entire world. What we're going to discover today is that that's actually not entirely true. And in Jesus' world, even far more so. To get him, you need to get this. So it's just a conceptual idea. I want to suggest to us is that we're not discrete bodies that have to look internally so much to discover who we are. In fact, that's not how cultures around the world often navigate themselves. In fact, many cultures around the world see themselves as they look outwards, that they're embedded in relationships. They exist amongst a network of relationships. They are in, if you like, their self is in relationship to something or someone else. That's why I've got the picture of the moon up here. It shapes, it shapes by its gravitational forces the oceans on earth, there's an interplay between the two. In the West here, we've believed this idea that we're discrete entities. We look inwardly. If we satisfy our desires, our, our thinker says, then we'll be happy. But then you have a young group of people who go over to a place like the Philippines and they are challenged by this idea of, wait a second, they don't have the same stuff that we do and yet they seem relatively happy. How do we account for that? Well, in those cultures, in those worlds, they see themselves as they look outwardly in relationship to someone or something. Just ask one of our indigenous brothers and sisters. They relate entirely differently. In fact, when you push it a little bit further, we're going to discover today that it's not just the forces around about you that shape you. It's the unseen forces as well. I want to suggest to us today to understand something of the Jesus way. As last week, we looked at the mathematics of heaven. And today we talk about defining success. That one of the incredible things that we need to discover about yourselves is that we are more porous than what we might consider. What do I mean by that? You don't believe me? Have you ever sat in a room with someone who is a stress head? No one said anything. That would be mean. Have you ever found as you've sat in that room and they've had all this different stress, how after about five or ten minutes, what happens to you? You catch it and you become stressed as well and you walk out of that place and you're like, I'm actually wired, I'm, I'm uptight here, what is going on? We are far more porous and we have an interrelationship and reaction of forces all around us. There's no such thing as a neutral canvas in our world. We are less discreet and we are more porous picking up on the interplay between forces and people and situations than we care to consider. So, the Jesus way. What does it look like to follow Jesus in a world in which our bodies might be far more porous than, than discreet? And what does it look like to actually enter into the, the message that he actually proclaimed when he lived and he came on earth? He talked about God's kingdom arriving here on earth. And we don't deal with kingdoms in this economy anymore. In fact, we deal in economies in Australia. And so that's probably a like and equivalence. The idea that we live in an economy where there is a goods and services and exchange. There are powers and forces at play and we dwell in it and live in it. We don't live in kingdoms so much, but we live in economies. What does the economy of God look like? And how does someone join Jesus in that, enter in, remain in, and flourish in it? That's what we're talking about this term. And so I want to begin today by asking you about success. What does a win look like in your world? But even more so, what does a win look like in Jesus' world? 
Because if he's coming and bringing a different kind of kingdom, if he's coming and bringing a different kind of economy that he believes is life-giving and transformative, I want to know from him what does a win success look like from his point of view. If you want to join with us this morning, I'm going to be looking at a part of the Bible, Luke chapter 4. We're going to go through 1 to 15. If you want to travel with us this morning, then you're welcome to do that. Last week, we picked up the story where where John, Jesus' cousin, has been calling out and saying to people, God is about to do something radically transformative. The promises of old are becoming true right now. He is on the move and he's going to be putting wrongs to rights. And you are welcome to join in. As he declared that, he began to call people to get baptized, dunked under the water as this sign of identification. Kind of like rolling out the red carpet, cleaning the house and getting it all prepared for God's move to come. And so as he's doing that, Jesus comes and he's baptized as well. And it says this, so it happened that all the people were being baptized. Jesus too was baptized and was praying. The heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And there came a voice from heaven. You are my son, my dear son. In you, I am very pleased or delighted. See, Jesus as the son is getting baptized and he gets filled with God's spirit. The spirit of God comes upon him in a powerful way. And it's as though it it takes on a form and a shape that people liken to a dove and it descends upon him. And and you hear this this voice. I can imagine the people in that moment as they hear sort of this thunderous voice out of the clouds and and they hear this declaration. You would have turned to someone next to you and said, "Did did you just hear something? Something about a delight or a, what's going on? And then Luke goes on and he continues to write these. And he says, Jesus returned from the Jordan filled with the Spirit The spirit took him off into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested by the devil. And he ate nothing during that time. And at the end of it, he was hungry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just pause for a moment. If you're a Jewish person and you have just read the first couple of verses here, there would be another narrative that's spinning around in your head, surely. You would have thought to yourself, wait a second. Part of one of our ancient stories was that we got liberated by God from being enslaved to this ruthless person by the name of Pharaoh. And we went through the water and we were called the son of God. I mean, when Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, you know, let my people go, he said, let my firstborn, my son Israel go. And so who's he talking to? And then as a Jewish person, you would think, wait, 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 wait a second. We wandered in the wilderness, didn't we? And when we wandered in the wilderness and we were trying to discover how to trust in God, we were there for 40 years. And you would think to yourself, wait a second, Luke is somehow doing a retake here. And it seems as though Jesus now, as the representative son, is doing what we did all those centuries ago. What on earth is happening And then we bump into this anomaly. It says he was tested by the devil. Wait a second, Troy. We don't believe in that stuff anymore. We're modern people. You don't believe surely in the devil. I mean, we live in a flat world. In our flat world, we're told that all we have is here and now. We are just material beings and that is it. Just a bunch of synaptic kind of exchanges with our brains and our musculoskeletal system and that is all. 
Well, that's not how they saw it in Jesus' world. In fact, I was talking to an African man this week and he said, you know, over in the West here, you don't believe in all that stuff, but where we are, well, you ask an indigenous person, is all we have right here is just material stuff? Do we live in a flat world? And they would look at you and go, what planet are you on? Are we just material stuff? Because in Jesus' world and in a Jewish construct, for them, the idea, The identification of a seen world and an unseen world was just as real to them as me looking at you today. In fact, there was this unseen world which was just as interplaying with theirs. They lived in an animated world in which these two spheres interlocked far closer than what you and I could imagine. Even in their beginning stories in in a garden where two early hominids are brought into a sacred space, there's another being there, a spiritual being, a non-human being. And in that space, it, it's kind of likened to a snake and, and it whispers and it tries to corrupt anything that is of good from God. In fact, that other entity, that being has been given different names throughout the centuries. The Satan, the devil, the adversary, the, 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 the liar, the slanderer. What it seems to want to do is drag anything of God's good creation down into chaos and darkness and decay. I mean, if it can do that, it will do that. And so one of the adversaries, if you like, adversaries that in the world, in the ancient world, was there was this unseen realm that interacted far more closer. What are you telling me, Troy, that the devil made me buy that jacket? (laughs) No. It's far more subtle than that. Those forces usually occupy themselves in big structures, in the unseen spaces of institutions and organizations and kingdoms that twist and shape and, if you like, take on different detours that want to corrupt and oppress and destroy. They're real. Sometimes you might feel them as a porous being interacting even with you in ways that you can't imagine. But it was in the Jewish mindset, it's nonetheless real and nonetheless present. We are porous beings. And so there Jesus is just like the Israelites centuries before, hungry in the wilderness. And the Spirit has pressed him out to almost do a a retake. And this is what happens. See, the tempter, the liar, comes to him and whispers, if you are God's son, and this is more a title, not a claim of divinity, that is, if you really are God's representative, if you are a Messiah, a king, that's the overtone here, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Because you're hungry, you could just eat it. You could just satisfy your hunger whispers the voice, if you like, plays on Jesus' desires. So what's he to do? I mean, it seems like a very reasonable thing, doesn't it? He's hungry. He's a son. He's a king. How will he use his power? Well, he replies in turn, he says, it is written, it takes more than bread to keep you alive. In fact, all of the responses that Jesus are making here comes from the same book, When Moses is about to remind all of the Jewish people, the Israelites, when they're going into the promised land, to remember the lessons at which they failed when they wandered for 40 years. And Jesus is just 
reminding, wait a second, I'm not going to make the same mistake as they made. No, no. I'm not going to do that. Because if I start doing that and satisfying my own desires and needs, what kind of kingdom am I going to build? He says, no. So then it says, in his mind's eye or somewhere, the devil took him up to a place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And it's not as though he's being transported somewhere, but that, as that whisper, as that voice comes to him and says, what kind of king will you be? What kind of kingdom will you build? It has this illusion of this, this seeing all of the great kings and kingdoms of the world. And it's just laid before Jesus. He says to him, I will give you authority over all of this. And the prestige that goes with it. It's been given to me, you see, and I give it to anyone I like. So it can be yours if you just worship me. Could you imagine in your mind's eye, you're not standing in the shop anymore. It's no longer just the suit. (laughs) I mean, it's everything that comes with it. It's everything that comes with it. You could be amazing. You could be greater than Alexander the Great, Jesus you could be greater than, the, greater than the Persian Empire, greater than the Assyrian Empire, greater than all of the other empires that have existed. You could have it all. And it could be yours. And it could be yours. And it could be yours. If you just worship me. Hmm. Interesting. Jesus responds to him and says this. It's written. The Lord your God is the one you must worship and he is the only one you must Serve. What's Jesus doing here? You see, Jesus is understanding something fundamental about human nature and the way in which we are wired. The first one is this, is that human beings are wired to worship. And if we do not worship the living God, we will worship someone or something other. And in turn, when you worship something or something other than the living God and his goodness, you after a period of time, become like that which you worship. You know the forces? When you begin to worship something that is other than that which is ultimately good and the living God, you will begin to be shaped by that object. You give it, if you like, powers, and in return, it makes a claim back over you, and it begins to interplay with you before you know it, before too long, it can begin to enslave you so that you're no longer the one in control of it. It is in control of you. That's how addictions work. That's how things work. You give it power and it exerts more power over you. We are poorest beings. And it's true. I know it. Many years ago, I had a spare thousand bucks. I said to one of my financial planner friends, what do you reckon I should do? I'd like to do some investing. He did something that no financial planner would do nowadays. He said, I'll just ask one of my analysts. And he flicked me three different options. I picked one. I think it was ERG, a ticketing company. I invested for $2 a share in that company at 1000 bucks, And then I sat back and watched what would happen. I mean, it was just an experiment. I was just fooling around with $1,000. Well, in the next month, it went up 4 bucks. Wow. The next month after that, it went up 6 bucks. Wow. Next month after that, it went to 8 bucks. Wow. 
Next month after that, it went up to 10 bucks. Whoa, 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 whoa. Next month after that, I went up to 12 bucks, 14 bucks, 16 bucks, $17. And all of you are just so, have you caught it? You're porous. And then I called him on the phone because one day after I was checking that thing and checking that thing and checking that thing, because I just didn't let it go. No, 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 no. You start to get absorbed in it. And you start to watch it. And all of your attention starts to get shaped and formed around it. You know how it works. And then after, all of a sudden it dropped in one day to 14.50. And I thought I'd lost. So I called up my financial planner friend and I said, what do I do? He goes, I don't know. That never happens to me like that. (laughs) He said, "You, you could probably sell. I go, no, but what if it goes up higher? He goes, I know. I said, what if it goes down lower? He goes, I know. I didn't know what to do. I was like a kid in a candy store. I sold. And then it went up to $21. (laughs) It's in me. It's called greed. It's so attractive. Some of the best sins in the world taste amazing. Just for a little while. And then they can get you. Your course can shift by a millimeter or two, but it's just as like it's real as ever. See, Jesus knows if he starts to worship and the undertone is you could conquer the world through brute force and might and bloodshed if you do it my way, you could have it all. And he knows that if he starts to worship lesser things, particularly a non-human entity, that he will end up just like everyone else. And so, we become what we worship. What are you giving yourself to? What absorbs your time, your attention, your focus, your finance, your thought life? That's what you worship. Is it giving you what you need? Is it giving you life or is it reducing your spheres? Third, the devil went up to Jerusalem and stood him on the pinnacle of the temple, the place where God dwells. Amazing temple, it's sitting at the top. And in his mind's eye, there's a whisper. Tell you what, you could stand on top of the temple and to declare your kingship, your messiahship, what you could do is throw yourself down because even this evil entity has been thumbing through the Psalms and it says, if God really loves you, he will protect you and catch you. That's what he does to his children. That's what he does to his people. And so you could throw yourself down and his angels will catch you and it will be amazing. You could promote yourself. This would be spectacular, better than an AFL halftime, (laughs) not hard to, but you could actually, it'd be amazing and everyone will follow you. And he looks back and he says, you mustn't test God, just like Israel did all those centuries ago when they were thirsty and they continued to not believe that he would. And the undertone here is that if God really loved you and if you really are his son, then you'll throw yourself down. And if he does really love you, he'll catch you. Jesus knew he was loved by his father. And so he said, no. He pushed it away. And so when the devil had finished each temptation, he left him for another opportune 
time. Just as we finish now, Craig, could you come on up for us, mate? I wonder this morning how God might be speaking to you. You see, because when the whispers come, they won't come so overtly, they'll come subtly. Why don't you feed yourself? Satisfy your own desires. I mean, that's what you could do. Why don't you rule yourself? You could have it all. Why don't you promote yourself? Because that's what God's kingdom's all about, self-promotion. And Jesus hears the words, he hears the whispers, he knows what's going on internally. And he says, no. No, I'm not going to do that. Because if I start doing that, I'll become just like all the other kings and queens and kingdoms of this world. And when God's kingdom breaks into this world, it breaks in power and it transforms the human heart and mind. And you don't have to do it, if you like, a repentance that is me trying to earn something from God. It breaks in by the Spirit of God and it transforms your heart and mind so that you think and you operate differently. But you still hear the whispers of this world. How do you know what I value, Troy? How do do I know what I worship well Jesus said it like this for where your treasure is there will your heart be also so when I ask you this morning how do you define success Jesus defined it fundamentally differently from the kingdoms of this world because we believe the lie when I can feed myself when I can rule myself and when I can promote myself I have won that's a big win and Jesus says this is how my dad defines success I mean sometimes people got so angry with Jesus they said why do you do what you do why do you hang out with those people why do you push back in the powers of this world why do you not just join us in taking over like everyone else and he politely responded I just do what I see my dad doing in his heavens because he's good he's life giving he's trustworthy So I once had an evangelist I heard over in the States, he shared with me and shared with our group. He said, my goal in life to tell people about Jesus was to be filled with stadiums of thousands of people. That was my win. He said, the day came and someone called and they said, our guest speaker has just been, there's a problem, can you come? And it's in a few weeks time. And he thought, this is it. This is my win. He said, I'll get back to you. I'm just going to pray. And he prayed and he said, God, (laughs) this is it. This is my chance. Tell everyone about you. And he sensed a disquiet in his soul. God, surely, I mean, this is it. This This is the big gig I've been working for my entire life. And he felt a disquiet within his soul. (laughs) So he had to call back up and he said, I can't do it. 
short time later, he received another telephone call from a small group out in the sticks out in the countryside. And they said, we've just got a small group of men here. Um, we're just wondering if you can come and tell them about Jesus. <laughs> it's like, I'll pray about it. He prayed about it and it seemed okay. So he accepted. He said, I was driving to that place. I was all mad. <laughs> Giving up this thousands of people. <laughs> small group of men out in the nowhere. He felt the little prompt. Who are you doing this for? I mean, like, who are you doing it for? Is it for me or is it you? <laughs> well, he turned up all chided, but he'd made the shift. It wasn't about him. It was about what God wanted to do through him and being obedient to the Father. That's where life is found. We've got to learn to tune our ears to the one set of hands that are clapping in the unseen world. That's what success is. doesn't mean you can't be ambitious and do a great job in your different spheres of influence. But ultimately, who are you doing them for? Now, one of this morning... If this week you've been wrestling with the whisper in your ear, you could be great. If you're just, and it's appealing to your dark side, the side that's so close to your strength, but it's just a degree or two off that it heads you in a different direction, and it's all about you. And God's calling you back. For some of you, it's that I think lesser of myself and I'm nothing. For others, it's I'm climbing the top and look how great I am. And both of those are imbalanced. What lies are you believing? How do you resist these temptations? Well, it says God's opposed to the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. Submit to God, then resist the devil and he will run away from you. It seems that it begins with God and humbling ourselves it's not about me it's about you how do you resist refuse it name it surrender it tell it to someone else because you're not supposed to journey alone and when you are weak and you stumble and fail confess it and he will forgive and wash you clean but then say come on Let's not do it again. So as Craig's playing, I wonder if the Spirit might minister to you. Just in the quiet. What's the Spirit saying to you today? What shift do you need to make? Do you need to refuse it? You haven't been naming it because you still think you're in control of it. And you are not. You have to name it. Before God. Before someone else. You have to surrender it over and say, I've had enough with this controlling me. I want to be set
God might be prompting you already to who you need to go and tell it to, a confide in a friend that would support you, encourage you. Or maybe it begins right now by you confessing it. Confessing it. Opening up your heart and mind and saying, Jesus, help me. I confess this before you. Would you forgive me and wash me clean and would you renew my mind and my heart and my body? If that's you this morning, I'm going to pray for you right now. But you need to agree that when I pray, this is effective for you. So if you'd like to do that, just where you are, maybe open up your hands, close your eyes, whatever is the posture of surrender for you. And I'm going to pray. God, in this space right now, I just ask and pray that you might be speaking to many people, calling them forward, calling them higher, calling them to you. Father, we want to confess this thing right now. It, we confess it to you. It's been more about me than it's been more about you. And I just ask that you might break this thing so that I might more fully live for you. Father, right now, I surrender this to you. Would you transform me? Would you help me? Would you fill me? I need your grace. Jesus, would you break this thing over me? so that I can be set free and walk in newness of life. I put that dark side aside and I pick up your light in your life. Help me walk in it. Refresh me and renew me. I pray in Jesus' name.